Today's scripture reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to worship. If we are not familiar with one another, I'm Pastor Tammy Roach. I'm the adult ministries pastor here at Alleluia, and I want to welcome you to worship this morning. Now, I'm not sure how you spent your last week, but uh, we stayed home for this spring break. It was beautiful weather. We welcomed a new puppy into our home, and we had some wonderful family time uh, this week. And it, it really is just a wonderful reminder that, um, and just to praise God for the newness of life, that it comes when spring is here. So praise God that spring is finally here. Um, And so we're so glad you're here at worship to join us in that celebration. Well, this week for worship, we are continuing our Lenten sermon series, Overflow. And over the last three weeks, we've looked at spiritual disciplines that help us grow in relationship with God so much, filling us with this love so much that it overflows to those around us. Now, uh, in the first week, Pastor Mark talked about the practice of worship. The following week, we looked at the practice of prayer. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about the practice of reading God's word as a way to know God so well that not only does he dwell among us, but he dwells in us. And we learned that our lives can be transformed from just reading God's word to actually living God's word. And then this week, we get to look at serving as a spiritual discipline and what it means to serve both God and others. So I want us to just dive right into our scripture passage for today, the sheep and the goats, which is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Now, the first thing you'll notice about uh, this passage, it's 807 in your worship Bibles, by the way, if you have that with you, is that what we actually read for today Begin with verse 34 instead of the traditional, the full reading that begins with 31, and here's why. When we include verses 31 to 33, our focus turns to the theme of judgment. And yes, judgment here is indeed an important focus and theme of this text. But the theme of discipleship is just as important, and that will be our focus for today. Klein Snodgrass, a New Testament theologian, and who happens to be one of my favorite professors, probably my favorite professor, in his book, Stories of Intent, says that the purpose of this parable is to motivate faithful discipleship marked by mercy and love. I'm going to read that again. He said the purpose of this parable is to motivate 
faithful discipleship marked by mercy and love. He says that only faithful obedience to the will of the Father, obedience marked by mercy and love, would suffice at judgment. Faithful, love, mercy, discipleship, judgment. This text is so much more than what it appears on the surface. It's a very rich text that gets at the heart of discipleship and how we live that out in the here and now. So I want to start by breaking down this passage a little bit further so we really get a clear visual of what it means to be on the right and what it means to be on the left. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to turn into your Bibles to page 25, beginning with verse 34. It's page 807 if you have your brown worship Bibles. In the previous verses, 31 to 33, the Son of Man, who is Jesus, has already separated people from one another. As in verse 33, a shepherd, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. Now to understand this visual, it's important to note that sheep and goats would pasture together during the day. But at night, because they had different motives and needs, the shepherd would separate them for their own safety and their own well-being. So today we are going to look at that explanation of who is on the right and who is on the left and what that actually means for you and me today. So let's move on to verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So here in verse 34, the king, Jesus, is addressing those on his right. He invites them to come to the kingdom and claim their inheritance. He calls them blessed, and later he calls them the righteous. So why are the right blessed? Well, we get that explanation in verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. These people were the ones who responded to a need. They saw someone in need, and they took action. Now jump to verse 41. Here Jesus addresses those on the left. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So to the left, he says, Depart from me, and he labels them cursed. So the right get to live in the presence of a loving God, but the left are separated from their creator. Why are the left separated? Verses 42 and 43. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. The people on the left... They ignored the very need in front of them. So what do we learn from this list? This is a lesson about serving others. It's a lesson about discipleship. 
See, those are the right are those who demonstrated their faithfulness by performing acts of mercy, acts of loving kindness. They are the ones who faithfully lived out their baptismal promise, living lives of faithful obedience, showing mercy without expecting anything in return. They saw a need and responded in the way Jesus would have responded, with loving action. Now those on the left, well, these are either the ones who are so self-involved that they didn't even notice the needs of those around them. Or they saw the need in front of them, but they chose to ignore them. As if the one in need was not worthy of their time or their energy or their financial resources. They are guilty of sins of omission. It wasn't their actions that caused them to sin. It was their inaction. Now these people might have even been considered the religious elite. They came to worship regularly. They lived morally upright lives. Or maybe even performed works as if they thought they could earn their way into heaven. Which we know is just not true. But what they lacked was genuine compassion. Now I think what's interesting about this text is that they both ask, both the right and the left, ask the very same question of the king. Verses 37 and 44. Verse 37, the right asks, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When? Did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the left asks, probably a little bit more indignantly, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you, Lord, as if their response would have been different if they knew it was their king. Both sides seemed surprised at the king's response, asking, when did we serve you, Lord? Or when did we neglect you, Lord? See, they were solely focused on the you, Lord, our king, our savior. But look at the king's response. Verse 40 Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Our motivation is revealed not in how we serve a great king, but in how we serve the least of these. See, if those on either the right or the left knew they were serving a king, their responses might have been a little different. Those on the left, they probably would have responded. But in hopes of getting something in return, approval, special recognition, perhaps monetary gain. And I bet we might find ourselves questioning the motive of those on the right. Why were they serving? Isn't it fitting that our king 
our Savior, entered this world as a helpless child, born to parents of meager means. From the very beginning, God was getting to the heart of the matter. So when we serve with a pure heart, grounded in our identity as faithful disciples of Christ, there is no other motive than meeting a need. Snodgrass would say that by necessity, our relationship with God is lived out in relation to humans. By necessity, our relationship with God is lived out in relation to humans. Genuine compassion has no other motive. In his book, Stories of Intent, Snodgrass says this, The kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world, but with it comes limitless demand. Let that soak in for a minute. The kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world, but with it comes limitless demand. He continues by asking, why? Why have so many Christians thought we could have grace without the demand? Since compassion is the heart of the gospel, a person cannot be a follower of Christ and be void of genuine compassion. According to Snodgrass, it really comes down to this question. What kind of person are you? It's a big question. What kind of person are you? Are you a person characterized by the love and mercy evidenced in Jesus? Or are you characterized by no concern for those in need? Again, I'll ask the question, what kind of person are you? See, our character matters. Who do you say that you are? Or better yet, whose do you say that you are? See, for Klein, it's all about identity. So who do you identify with? Do you identify with the people on the right? Or do you identify with the people on the left? See, the very understanding of whose you are should guide your behavior, your actions, and your responses to the needs of those around you. Knowing the love of Christ in your heart and having a relationship with the Creator leads to acts of mercy and living a life of selfless love. Matthew includes this story, this parable, to spur us into action, to live godly lives of compassion because we will be held accountable for our treatment of the least of these. Now before we get confused, I want to make sure to clarify This passage is not saying that we earn our salvation through works. For Jesus and for Matthew, this was never about having faith or doing works. It is about authentic obedience expressed through acts of mercy and love for one another. Caring for the least of these 
helping someone in need, living selflessly. These things are not done as a means to an end, but rather are expressions of love as we actively live out the will of the Father. That's discipleship. Galatians 5.13 reads this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Through the great love and sacrifice of our Father, we have been freed from the bondage of sin. Through God's great mercy, we have experienced immeasurable grace. But we're not to abuse it or misuse that freedom. We're to use it to serve others humbly in love. This is the will of our Father. See, we were not saved by serving, but we are saved for serving. In the name of the one who went to a cross for us. So I want to get us to some practical application. And we want to answer that question, how can we best serve God and how can we best serve others? So today I'd like to offer three ways that we can serve God and others and live into our identities as disciples of Christ. Number one, practice spiritual disciplines regularly and often. Now lucky for you, this is what our Lenten Sermon Series is all about. So if you've been attending worship or if you've missed them, they've been online. We still have another week to go. But let's go over the ones we've talked about already over the past few weeks. Worshiping God, revere him and make God a priority in your life. Spend time with God with intentionality of deepening your relationship with him. We've also talked about reading scripture and being in community with one another, uh, with other believers as you seek to understand God's word and how we can live that out in our lives. And we've talked about prayer Thanking God daily and communicating with God your hopes, your fears, your dreams, your concerns. And then listening for the way he responds to you. Spiritual disciplines are a way to honor and serve God. Number two, live biblical hospitality. And we do this by following the commandments. Because, see, they reveal how to live in the healthiest possible relationship with both God and others. By living selflessly, we live out biblical hospitality. I might also encourage you to invest in others. Do more with others than just interact. Get to know the people in your life outside of your friend group. Your dog groomer, the cashier at your local grocery store the owners of your favorite restaurants cannot even tell you how much our lives have been uh, completely enriched by the relationships that we've developed outside of our immediate group. I might even encourage you to build community by sharing a meal and inviting those people into your life 
Because this simple, act, this simple act creates trust between strangers. It builds bridges of communication. And it fills the chasms that form between us. Form relationships with those unexpected people in your life. And number three, show mercy. Show mercy by serving others and living a life of compassion. Now we do this by offering help where needed. Yes, food and clothing and water and housing and medical attention and visiting those who are confined. But also simple things like offering words of kindness or a good listening ear, opening the door for someone, helping them change a tire, being present and offering a smile. You never know what a simple act of kindness can do to change somebody's day. Part of showing mercy also means to practice forgiveness. Let go of those grudges and release yourself of that burden. By practicing forgiveness, you show mercy and you love well. Today I want to end with a prayer which has become known as the Prayer of St. Francis. Now, it wouldn't be the first time we've shared this prayer together, but I think it's worth repeating because I feel that it asks God to help us live into our baptismal promise. St. Francis was said to have lived an exemplary life of holiness and lived out this prayer his whole life. This prayer that we're about to share is a request to God, a request to help us live into our identity as faithful disciples who obediently live according to the will of the Father. It is a reminder to live unselfishly and to love others the way God loves us. So now as I say the prayer, the words will be on the screen, so you can close your eyes and just listen, or if you desire, you can read along. And if you like the prayer, I do have some copies available at the Welcome Center. Let's pray. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as it is to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.